Why, hey there. My name is Darcy Jeremy. You're listening to another episode of the Business of Ergonomics podcast. Today, I'm going to share five more simple, no-cost solutions that you can put in place in the office that will awe and inspire your customers. Let's do this. Welcome to the Business of Ergonomics podcast. I'm your host, Darcy Jeremy. I'm a board-certified professional ergonomist with over 15 years of experience delivering ergonomics programs to employers of all different types. In this podcast, I share what other healthcare professionals are already doing and being with ergonomics assessments and how to land those clients that you dream of. Without further ado, let's jump into this episode right now. Thanks for listening to another episode, especially if you had started at part one. This is part two, a continuation from episode 72, the Business of Ergonomics podcast. So today, I am tackling one of the biggest misconceptions that potential clients and prospects have about ergonomics assessments in the office. And you're right if you're guessing the cost or complications involved with making ergonomic recommendations. We all know as professionals that ergonomics assessments and keeping on top of an optimal work setup is absolutely essential for productive work and maintaining a really engaged workforce. But at the same time, we know that misconceptions around the cost of ergonomics is what holds a lot of companies back from going forward with you. Today, I'm going to be talking about five more solutions that you can share and how this is part of your marketing campaigns. Hashtag, we talk about this in our, in our Accelerate group. I don't know why I said hashtag, but we're just going to go with it. So the first thing I want to talk about today is monitor brightness. And this is an easy way to add another element of improvement to your ergonomic assessments. The reason being is that most monitors are just too bright, or if there's more than one monitor being used at a workstation, it is rare that they're at the same level of brightness, especially if they're not the same brand. We all know as ergonomics professionals that the brightness of the monitor should match the brightness of the surrounding environment. If you're working later at night or if the work environment is a little bit darker, the monitor brightness should match that. Now, even saying that in a typical brightly lit office environment, most monitors are still too bright. And it will take a little bit of trial and error, but there are little buttons that you can press on the monitor, or if you're using a Mac, or if your client is using a Mac, you could just go into the system preferences. You would be surprised at how bright the monitors are and how much relief you will save your client if you reduce the brightness to 50%. Personally, my brightness is about 30%, and I have two monitors that aren't the same brands, but I'm able to match it pretty well. Why is this important? Well, too much brightness over time can result in eye fatigue and strain over time. It's one of the baseline evaluations that people might make about their own um, general pain that they just think it's a cost of doing business. 
you know, too much discomfort. So this is what you can do. Lower the brightness. It literally doesn't cost anything and you can get a big win for not only your company, but your client. The next thing I want to talk about is monitor distance. Oh yes, monitor distance. Um, this is really important because monitor distance plays an effect in not only how clear we can see things, but if the monitors are too far away or too close, it can have an effect on our posture. Monitors that are too far away can cause our clients to lean forward in our chair and can put a lot of strain on their lower back and can also result in some awkward neck positioning. Typically speaking, monitors should be within one arm's length away from the person. This is to make sure that uh, they can sit with, with their back on the back of the chair and look at the monitor with comfortable vision. So here's the trick. If there's more than one monitor, of course, you want to set it up to what monitor is used the most. And I like to define which monitor is used by the most is 70% of use. Personally, I use a dual monitor system. I use both monitors pretty well. So I have it arranged at uh, a semicircle around me where the center of the monitors is about at my nose position. And they're both with, within one arm's length away. For monitors that are really, really big, or if they have more than two monitors, that person may need to have more of a visual distance. And there's been research saying that up to 80 centimeters, more than 80 centimeters, and that's about seven centimeters or a few inches longer than what a typical visual, visual distance is. Um, and what what the research is saying, you have to just go triable air to see what's the best for that person. Being said, if that monitor distance is further away, you want to increase the font um, of the monitor system. You just go to system preferences because um, knowing that the monitor is going to be further away, that's going to have a, a relationship with smaller fonts. And you want to make sure that person can view the fonts and the words and all that good stuff as easy as possible. Really easy fix, really easy to do, absolutely no cost and can improve that worker's comfort. The next thing I want to talk about is the armrest height and width. And uh, armrests, let me tell you, they are some of the most interesting parts of doing an ergonomics assessment because as folks, we all think that armrests are absolutely necessary to have an optimal sitting position. Well, I'm here to say that there is actually a, a lot of polarizing discussion about armrests. Isn't that interesting? Under ideal circumstances, so if that armrest has the ability to, to position and support your arms in an optimal posture, I think that they're great. However, if armrests are either too high or too wide for the person and they can't be adjusted anymore, this can actually lead and contribute to shoulder discomfort, especially if it's used for a long time. Recollecting on how many assessments that you've done, you've probably noticed this too. So the next thing that you can do here, if you're in this situation and the armrests are just not working out for your person and that person is describing shoulder discomfort, where does this leave you as an ergonomics professional? Do you let that person sit with awkward shoulder positions? Do you recommend a different type of chair? Do you recommend 
they replace the armrests, or do you recommend that they remove the armrests? All solutions are totally dependent on that person's preferences, the budget, your personal experience, and what that person's habits are. So I'll leave it up to you what you want to decide. As long as it's a reasoned approach, I think it makes sense. Something to consider though. Let's move on to the seat pan depth. The seat pan of the chair should be fit to that person's thigh. And this is a type of adjustment that's only really made once. It's going to be made more frequently if that person is using a shared chair or a hotel, which is actually coming becoming quite pre- prevalent these days when people are working more remotely and may only need to come into the office one or two times a week. The key is to make sure that there's no contact between the back of that person's calf and that that person is getting enough support from the seat pan. So this is a really easy, no-cost fix that can improve the comfort of that person immensely. And you can coach your client how to do this. And guess what? It doesn't cost anything. Last but not least, we're talking about the keyboard angle. When typing, we all know that that person's hands should be aligned with their forearms because this limits non-neutral wrist up and down and side to side bending. And this can be very much related to that person's development of wrist discomfort. Now, we all know that there are a lot of solutions for keyboards, but we're not talking about mousing right now. We're talking about the keyboard angle. And what you've probably noticed if you've been doing ergonomics assessments for a while, that the keyboard angle cannot be optimally positioned for that person by means when I talk about those back legs. Now, when I say back legs being extended, I hope that we're on the same page. The back legs are those little little prongs on the far side of the keyboard that angles it upward. So it's a positive tilt in the keyboard. This can put a lot of strain on the wrist position and lead to extension in the wrist that is overall not a great position for our hands to be in if your client's working like this for hours on end and if they have some pre-existing wrist discomfort. Not a great scene. So here's what I recommend doing. And of course, use your professional expertise. If there's a positive tilt and there is a combination of positive tilt with wrist discomfort, of course you want to make sure that this is all aligned with the rest of that person's sitting posture. There are definitely some circumstances where a positive tilt may actually be beneficial. But if that person is sitting pretty much upright, a positive tilt will most likely lead to some wrist discomfort because of the wrist extension. So the best idea here is just to lower those prongs on the back of the keyboard, those legs. That will at least flatten it up and it will cause less discomfort. Another thing to consider too, if that person is using a keyboard tray and has a positive angle in the keyboard and that's resulting in discomfort, check to see if a combination of removing the back legs of the keyboard and putting the keyboard into the keyboard tray into a negative tilt 
Negative tilt is generally the most recommended, recommended type of keyboard position because it tends to eliminate the wrist extension. However, one element I love you to consider, and this is something that I found over the years, it's a, it's a rare type of solution, but something to be aware of. Now, if that person that you're seeing loves their back angle and they love being reclined at like 130 degrees because they just find it super comfortable, well, that's their optimal position and for a certain time of the day, of course. So this requires a little bit more coaching as an ergonomics professional because they're going to be sitting with their back at about 130 degrees and the rest of that workstation has to provide an optimal setup. So imagine if you will on this on this visual experience with me, if they're going to be sitting uh, reclined, you might find after careful analysis that a positive tilt is going to be better for the wrist because that's going to keep the the forearms aligned with the wrist. But also keep in mind that the rest of the workstation, the monitors, everything else has to really support this posture. And you have to coach this person what will change once they go back to a more straight position. It's all very simple adjustments, but something that you do need to spend a little bit more time on so that person really understands. Alrighty, so I hope that you found this episode valuable. Those are the remaining five aspects, a continuation of part one from podcast episode 72. A lot of these things does take time and experience to navigate, but I really want to bring up that the best way to get experience is just to get more ergonomics assessments under your belt. There's a misconception that ergonomics is expensive and it's not. There's a lot of creativity involved with doing ergonomics assessments and that's why so many people enjoy it because you can think out of the box but also have that foundation of principles so that you can really tailor that workstation to fit whomever that you see. And that's why so many other healthcare professionals are finding that there is a future with ergonomics, whether it's a side hustle um, based on some other extra hours that they're working as part of their day, or maybe it's something that they're doing more of a full-time scenario. The thing is, getting started in this and seeing the forest from the trees can sometimes be challenging. Ergonomics is one thing. Learning how to market ergonomics is something entirely different. I believe that the best situation happens, the best outcomes happens when they're done at the same time because marketing takes so much time. Um, and what I mean at the same time, you are learning how to do ergonomics assessments. However, you spend a little bit of time to learn some marketing principles. So that means when you're ready to launch your side hustle or whatever you want to identify it as, you can simply reach out and grab those people who are interested instead of starting from scratch and trying to figure out how to market. That tends to put us in a place of desperation. And when we're desperate, it's pretty hard to be a, a good salesperson because our clients can really feel that desperation. And I've always found that when I'm desperate to get a sale for my ergonomic services, it never works. However, when I've taken the time to build the relationships, have a found 
a foundation type of, of structure to my marketing, that's when I get sales and that's when I get revenue for my business. Something to consider if you're looking to add ergonomics to your career. And I certainly think that is a beneficial thing to consider right at the get-go. I hope you got some value from today's episode, and I can't wait to share more details about ergonomics assessments and marketing in the future. Until next time, I'll chat to you soon. So if you like what you heard in this podcast episode and you want to learn more, you want to learn how other healthcare professionals are already adding office ergonomic expertise to their services and practice, I have a training for you. All you have to do is head to ergonomicshelp.com slash learn dash ergo. That's ergonomicshelp.com slash learn dash ergo, and you can get started today.